Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue, and today we have a sponsored show with Ribbon Communications, who you don't know it, but you've heard of them before, and today the topic is voice. We're going to be getting into some of the details, transitioning from Skype for Business to Teams. Yes, and joining us to have that discussion today is Brad, Ch- is it Chapin or Chapin, Brad? It's Chapin. Thank Chapin. you uh, for getting that one, Ethan. All right. Well, Brad, uh, Director of Strategic Alliances at Ribbon Communications. Now, for those folks who haven't heard of Ribbon, um, tell us who they have heard of and how your the company they have heard of became Ribbon. Sure, Ethan. Um, so, uh, Ribbon is really just a, a new brand and a new name uh, that combines two companies, which was Sonus, who I worked for, and Genband. So, right. really, it's uh, same great products, same great focus, just a new name. Okay. And so folks that are listening to this show, you, you've probably heard Sauna shows. Uh, they've been a sponsor on Packet Pushes in the past. We've talked about session border controllers, voice security. And so if you dig through on Packet Pushers and look at the archives, you can find more shows around this topic. And the thing we want to focus on today related to this is transitioning from Microsoft Skype for Business over to Microsoft Teams. Now, I'm not a guy that lives in the voice and collaborative world, at least not Microsoft's world. I, I use Slack a lot. So for folks that are used to Skype and uh, maybe haven't heard of Teams, Brad, can you kind of highlight uh, some of the key differences, why some companies are going to move from one to the other? Absolutely, Ethan. So uh, lucky for you, I actually do live in Skype for Business and Teams on a daily basis. And so, you know, they, they are very much very different. Uh, so Skype for Business, uh, you know, came from Link and from OCS before it and, and really is a instant messaging presence and collaboration platform, but it's a little bit different than, say, Teams or, or Slack, which you use. So Teams, which is, as I say, newer to the market, they uh, I think they released it, geez, probably about a year ago, and it's been you know heavily invested in by Microsoft and has been making a lot of advancements and new functionality has been added to it. But really, it, it brings kind of that persistence chat, that, that modern collaboration workspace where you can invite people, you can collaborate, and, and people see the documents you know that are relevant to that specific channel or to that specific focus area, and they can start up video, they can start up calls, and really leverage you know kind of that shared environment to mm. make decisions faster and, and get content faster and just collaborate more effectively. I think the key thing about this Teams app is it's not just the old calling voice you know the voice obviously skype was all about voice and also about some text messaging so you could always send some chat messages inside of skype but it's much more about the integration with office 365 and the pathway into azure which is you know teams is hosted in the cloud you've got if you're using microsoft um, office 365 you need to integrate those chat sessions with office 365 so it's much more of a the, the collaboration is actually directly related to microsoft office no, you're 100% right, Greg. So, uh, you know, Teams is kind of an add-on in terms of uh, the functionality that you get through an enterprise license from Microsoft. And those enterprise licenses allow you different features and different functionality. So, it, you know, it has back-end integration to SharePoint or back-end integration mm-hmm. to OneDrive or to a variety of different features and functionalities. And then because it is in Azure, you know, it is all the various security and enhancements and data archiving and mm-hmm. all those things that you get from Microsoft from an enterprise perspective is a part of now, of course, your collaboration session and all that's, you know, delivered in the cloud. And, and you're right. Teams is a, a cloud offering. Mm-hmm. 
it's built on Azure Fabric. And, and so from that perspective, it, it's not something that would be done on premise like Skype for Business can. Skype for Business is, is kind of you know one of two ways. Either it's on-prem or it's in the cloud, whereas Teams, you know, you're 100% right. It's an Azure service, and it, it's definitely yeah. in the cloud. And so now you've got this hybrid cloud problem where you've got something in the cloud, and now, you know, if you've got a company with a few sites or a few locations, you've got this problem where you've got some Skype for Business deployed, most likely, and now you want got Office 365 in the cloud, you've got some people with Office on their desktops and laptops and whatever, and you've got to start to bring all that together. So this is kind of the challenge that we're facing here. I think that's a, a very valid point. So, yes, um, you are trying to bring multiple things together, and there's different ways of, of pulling that together and, and different aspects that customers need to consider, as well as network administrators and, and, and people that are maintaining all this of, of kind of what they need to pull together mm-hmm. and, and what will potentially be separate. So. So just for clarification, Brad, that what we're talking about here, Skype for Business and Teams are two completely separate products in the Microsoft realm. I can't, but there's no upgrade path to go from Skype to Business to to, uh, to Teams, right? Well, in a sense, yes, there is, but in a sense, you're right, there's not. So from the perspective of if I'm a Skype for Business on-prem user today, I can use Teams, but I have a separate client. And I can, you know, leverage collaboration within Teams, but, you know, I still have my Skype for Business client that I'm still using to make and receive voice calls. Uh, if I'm doing Skype for Business online, similar thing that I could be using Skype for Business online. I'm making calls back and forth using my Skype for Business online client. I still might be using Teams separately. However, Microsoft did announce, I think in December, that you can now get calls in and out of Teams using their calling plan service. But at the same time, that isn't necessarily the same as bringing your own circuits into Teams and that hybrid, I'd say, topology where I want to leverage my own circuits is something that's coming um, later this year. And, And so... Well, it, it it feels like that that federation thing. I've really got two different products that now I've got to connect together. Uh, teams, uh, going back to what Greg was saying, you know, Teams lives in the cloud. It's Azure, uh, and Skype for Business could live in the cloud, but could also live on premises. And so now I've got this problem where I've got to connect these two systems together. Absolutely. And, you know, part of that issue is, you know, what we see is a a great problem to solve. And so, as you said, when we started off this call, you know, Sonus made session border controllers, obviously Ribbon continues to make those same session border controllers. And those session border controllers, while they do have a a security purpose in terms of doing secure RTP or TLS, they also do, you know, a lot of those other security things like topology hiding, uh, you know, denial of service prevention, denial of uh, service attack prevention, all those type things. But they also do the whole interworking. and so that interworking of getting users from Skype for Business to Teams is something that a session border controller also solves uh, through a variety of integration with Active Directory and other aspects. Well, okay, so let's back up a second here. So there's a couple of different connection points that I'm imagining in my mind. I've got a team system. I've got a Skype for Business system. Uh, I've got circuits of my own that you know, we, we know how to do that with Skype for Business. That's not a new thing. We've been doing that for a long time. But Teams lives in the cloud. Would I also have my own voice circuits for Teams? Say, for example, 
like as you said today, uh, that you have Skype for Business and you have circuits. So you know the way that you solve that today is those circuits come in, and sometimes customers have them terminate directly on the Skype for Business server through the you know onto the mediation server. But you know that is it's a, a security vector that could be attacked, and so a lot of customers. You know, bring those circuits in, whether those are TDM circuits like analog or T1, they bring them into the SBC and the SBC relays those onto Skype for Business. So you're correct about that. And the important part here is that you then get to keep your numbers. So if correct. You're publishing a telephone number, you know, if you've got, <laughs> potentially you've got millions of dollars invested in marketing the telephone numbers that you've got, and it's really important to keep those and to, you know, not to throw them away. You've got to make business or money or value out of those that spend. Yeah. A absolutely. So for those users that had those circuits coming in and they were terminating them on the SBC, the SBC can route them up to either Skype for Business or that SBC, uh, come a little bit later this year, will just route those straight up to Teams. So, you, you know, the, the, SBC will check to see if the user is a Skype for Business user or a Teams user. If they're a Teams user, they'll route, you know, as you said, those highly valuable numbers that have been published on business cards and on brochures and on marketing material and relay those up into Teams so that way they could be answered by the individual user or by a, you know, uh, contact center or what have you not. And that's and that's key, and that's the goal here. Just because you've moved your uh, voice platform into somebody else's cloud doesn't mean you should be abandoning. <laughs> you know, you sure as goodness don't want to be abandoning your uh, all those numbers and the years spent selling out those numbers. So yeah. Well, and that also brings up a good point in the sense that sometimes you have numbers and and those numbers are not offered by Microsoft or by other carriers. So. Mm. You know whether you're, you know, if you're migrating to Teams and you're going into a a cloud-based, you know, offering. A lot of times, cloud providers, you know, you have a, a number in, uh, you know, uh, South Africa. You have a number in Hong Kong. Mm. They may not be able to offer a number in there. You know, Microsoft doesn't offer numbers, even though they have a calling plan. They only offer them in about ten countries. So if you're outside those ten, 10 countries. You, of course, want to keep those circuits and those numbers because you have to. Um, you know, there, there's no way around that. And so that, again, that's a reason to keep that SBC so that way that SBC can bring those circuits in and bring them up to teams. Plus, you know, from the perspective of the customer, you know, A, you know, they might like working with that service provider. They might have, um, you know, the desire to keep that media local rather than uh, bringing it up over the internet. Mm. There are reasons, yeah, not everybody trusts the cloud yet. Sometimes you want to hold it locally so that <laughs> it's inside of some controlled space, which meets regulations or principles or, you know, some sort of rules. And then there's other stuff which can be in the cloud today, or, you know, and that's becoming less and less of an issue over time, but you've still got to have it in both places for a lot of people. Absolutely. Okay, session border controller. Then um, the role that it would be playing here in our uh, Skype for Business two teams transition, or both systems working in parallel, he can be a mediator, taking calls in, sending calls out over those dedicated circuits. And of course, there's also a security function there as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we've got secure inspection and so on of uh, SIP traffic and uh, RTSP traffic that's heading uh, now with Teams back and forth from the cloud. So is that is that fair to say? Yeah, always. You know, still, I would say um, that you know that SIP packet inspection, making sure there's not malformed packets, making sure that you're not getting distributed denial of service things of that nature, encrypting it, 
and even potentially transcoding that call from one codec to another. Now, uh, as a few integration pieces I want to understand here, you mentioned Active Directory uh, a bit ago. So I've got Skype for Business. I've got AD. I'm AD on the back end for my directory services. I've got Skype for Business, and now I'm adding Teams to the mix, and I've got my SBC in the middle. So how are these correlated? And, and, and does this get me away from that two-client problem we were talking about earlier? Well, the SBC can, yeah, absolutely route those calls to Teams, so that would allow you to be on a single interface. But there's, you know, potentially some features that maybe haven't been ported over yet to Teams. So maybe for particular users, they're going to be on Skype for Business. So again, those circuits can come in based on what they have in Active Directory. You can route them to users who want to stay on the Skype for Business client, route them to Teams users who want a single client, and or potentially even fork the call to that legacy Avaya, that legacy Cisco system as well. And that's a good point. On-prem doesn't go away just because you start using to the cloud. It's it's hard to move a lot of people away and switch them away from the legacy ways of doing business. Absolutely. Hmm. So that's, oh, okay. So with this, what you're seeing with customers, uh, Brad, is this typically a transition? Well, I know Teams is pretty new, but I mean, is this typically the strategy is we're going to transition over time from Skype to business to Teams, or is there an expectation that they're going to coexist side by side for a long time? Well, I, I think each and every single customer is unique in how quickly or how slow they want to go. So obviously, if you have a, a small company that's 50, 100 users, they might be a little bit faster than some of the customers that are migrating to teams that are 50, 80, 100, you know, you know, or more thousands of users. So I mean, obviously, when you're migrating 100,000 users over, you're not doing that in a week or a month. You're, you know, this is a much longer uh, migration cycle. But, but again, it, it is a, a transition, a migration typically, as opposed to we're going to live with both systems uh, permanently? You know, it's a good question. So it depends. So sometimes customers will keep both systems forever. And a lot of times that has to do with um, the types of circuits. For business users, they might migrate all the users over. But for facilities, yeah, they might keep those two systems going forever. They might have a bunch of Teams users, but those Teams users might need to be able to make and receive a call to an elevator phone or to a lobby phone that you know, uh, or maybe a, a manufacturing floor where because of asbestos abatement or who knows what other myriad of problems, they're keeping analog phones at that particular location. And, and so that Cisco system or that Avaya system may stay around forever. Um, I mean, we see it in the federal space. We see it in uh, manufacturing spaces. It depends on the vertical. Sometimes we see it in healthcare quite a bit as well. Okay. So, and, and that makes sense. That's <laughs> every shop I've been in, there's the, the system in the corner that has to stay up for whatever that reason is, you know, because accounting or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, no, no surprise there, but, but yeah, fair enough. There's some legacy gear that may be around that's going to keep, but by and large, people are going to try to transition most of their clients onto one platform or another. And I think one of the big reasons for that is that if if you have just a small group using something like Teams, they're not going to get the value of being able to pull in an expert on, you know, say, you know, somebody from manufacturing to to look at some sort of schematic and say, our manufacturing partner can't deliver that. So the whole point of Teams or any modern collaboration workspace is the more people you have using it the more valuable it comes. And if you only use it for a small subset, it's valuable for that subset, but it's not as valuable as if you have the whole enterprise using it. Mm, of course. Yep. The more people you have on it, the more value. It absolutely makes sense to me. Oh, if you were a startup, you'd be banging on about the network effect. 
<laughs> the more people use the platform, the more power the platform brings to your business, and and that's why we, we you know, that's why Microsoft can charge so much to use the software. <laughs> well, and that brings up a, a valid point. And when you're talking about you know a startup who's using it and, and using the network, obviously, as you migrate more things to the cloud, you're using instead of a lot of things on prem, you're using the cloud, and so you need to find ways of you know how do I get that traffic on, you know, to the cloud and up to the cloud and, and what are my circuit sizes? Can I optimize that circuit size? Um, you know, you know, if I'm using a particular solution to optimize what I'm sending up to the cloud, can they inspect and prioritize and make, you know, calls up to teams more effective? You just, you said optimize and that triggered in my brain. Oh yeah. If, what if the company's used to having their circuits coming in on premises for a Skype for business solution that's on premises, but now we're moving to teams, meaning we're going to be pumping a pretty significant amount of traffic across the internet. Do we have uh, voice quality concerns? And we're, we're a big SD-WAN uh, group of people here at Packet Pushers. We talk about it all the time. So I'm wondering if maybe there's a, there's an SD-WAN consideration to uh, to a transition like this. Um, I'd say that is absolutely something that could make a lot of sense. So, I mean, you know, one of the good things is that an SBC speaks SIP. Um, and so from that perspective, a lot of the SD-WAN solutions, you know, SIP is not necessarily a new protocol. So from a signaling perspective, they understand that um, and, and they can leverage that and, and, and bring that up. But you're 100% right that if those circuits were coming and you're using an on-prem Skype for business, if they were TDM circuits that were coming on, yeah, well, you know, all you have to do is worry about your bandwidth on the LAN and bandwidth on the LAN is cheap. But, you know, if those circuits are now coming in, whether it's SIP trunking or TDM trunking, you know, if they're coming into an SPC and now that SPC is routing it up to Office 365 instead of keeping it on-prem to that Skype for Business on-prem, you're right. You're definitely pumping a lot more traffic online and you might want to look at an SD-WAN solution on how you can optimize prioritize of course we can do things like you know add you know cross markings of course you know to the traffic but once it goes on to the internet you know obviously uh, right they're, 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 they're stripped are, or ignored right qos yes, markings are going to exactly. be so okay so a few interesting points there one is application recognition and and yes we've talked to a lot of the sd-wan vendors that are out there and app recognition is right at the top of their list of uh, of the really the table stakes features and of right they certainly know what sip is so um, that control protocol very straightforward they could prioritize that with a policy um, then we get into, well, how do they recognize that it's voice traffic? And there's a whole bunch of different ways that that can be done. And several of the SD-WAN vendors will actually brag about their ability to identify this is, uh, we can distinguish voice traffic versus uh, whiteboard traffic versus you know, video traffic, et cetera, within a session that they've identified as this is headed up to the cloud. This is Office, Microsoft Office 365 traffic um, because of all the other ways that they can identify those streams. So yeah, there's a, th that could be a real interesting part of the solution for some folks. They're moving to Teams. All of a sudden, they've got a lot of SIP and voice, you know, real-time voice traffic hitting the internet. Maybe SD-WAN needs to be part of the consideration. Uh, multiple internet circuits to make sure that quality uh, of of that conversation can be guaranteed if they're used to, like you said, bandwidth on the LAN is cheap, Brad. And uh, a lot of those folks that, uh, that maybe they've been used to deploying their own QoS internally um, to make that happen if they, <laughs> if they bothered at all because bandwidth is so cheap. Uh, but over the internet, it's just a whole different game. And uh, now maybe SD-WAN 
make sense if they'd been ignoring it before. Well, you can get away, I think, Ethan, with it when you, as long as you get visibility. The value of a session border control here, uh, from what Ribbon is doing, is not only do you get, you know, a whole bunch of controls, you know, the traffic's flying through it, but you can also get visibility into whether the call quality is up to snuff. And those are the sorts of tools that you need. When you go onto the internet and you don't have control of the physical network, you can't cross it. This is why cross is always pointless in the end of the day. So now what you need is visibility to know where the problems are. Because before, what you would used to do is, you know, use cross, guarantee the road, lock off this bandwidth for cross, you know, so that voice worked. Now you can't guarantee anything. So what you need to know is, is there something wrong? So that you can then start to think about, do I need to buy more bandwidth? Do I need a better ISP? Is the problem at Azure? You know, you can't answer those questions just by by using the old ways. You have to come up with monitoring and visibility tooling, and that's the value of an SPC from someone like Ribbon. Yeah, so talk about that, Brad, because uh, um, um, the visibility piece, uh, so often we're looking at our network management platforms or the SD-WAN tooling to give us that when it comes to the internet. But uh, but right, so I, I I know I cut you off as you were about to talk, but uh, but tell us about the visibility within the uh, at the SPC. Yeah, that, that's funny. So um, you know, it, visibility has always been important, uh, and, and seemingly it's always taken a backseat in ter- in terms of as a company. We've always been focused more on security and on interworking, but visibility has become much more critical to a lot of customers because they feel that okay, they got the SBC, they have the security done, you know, they have the interworking done. The next stage of the conversation is okay. Well, I need to have more visibility and I need to be more proactive about fixing things. And actually, we have uh, a, a, an offering, and there will be, I'm sure, a, a future packet pushers podcast talking about some new visibility offerings that we're actually bringing to market this year. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Oh, okay. Didn't think about that. But there you go. He's got a good answer, Ethan. <laughs> yeah, we didn't discuss it uh, prior to the call, but, uh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen this kind of trickling in from a lot of customers and uh, customers are actually right now evaluating the software. It's in beta. And uh, really it is about, you know, you know, looking at kind of your network and figuring out who the bad actors are, you know, and if they're potentially attacking one SBC, can I, you know, fix, you know, that across other SBCs or automatically apply policies to uh, firewalls that a lot of times work in conjunction with an SBC. A firewall has its place, a session border controller has its place, but really kind of the inner working of the two and, you know, sharing of information and, and, and setting up policies that people can automatically put in place or at least get detection so that way they can take immediate action is definitely something that we've been working on. So, Brad, I want to go back to the security aspect of it, because before the show, we were talking about, you You kind of made the point to us that people forget about their voice service. They just think about it, it, it it's working and it's great uh, until it's not working. Then all of a sudden things pipe up. So if I'm in that position where I'm transitioning from Skype for Business over to Teams, I want my session border controller in there handling security. Are there any new or specific concerns that are worth highlighting in the security realm to uh, to consider here? I, I would say yes, that, you know, people are getting, I'd say, better and better at figuring out ways of stealing information. And while a session border controller protects voice, you know, a lot of times you're getting data exfiltration through, you know, a, a channel that somebody sets up a, what looks like a 
data session. Uh, it looks like a collaborative, you know, collaborative session. The SD WAN says, "Oh yeah, sure, you know, looks fine to me." You know, firewall says, "Oh yeah, that's on particular port." They may not know that there's an issue, but you know, maybe we know that typically, you know, when somebody's sharing a file, yeah, they're sharing a two meg file, and they're done typically for that session. That somebody's not sending a, a two meg file after two meg file for you know two hours. You know, that looks suspicious. So, you know, we've been enhancing our monitoring and our, I'd say, reporting capabilities to really look towards abnormalities, to monitor those abnormalities. So that way, from a company's perspective, they have a lot more security in place to really look at some of those collaborative offerings that they're using and make sure that information is not flowing out to uh, hackers, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. Were you going to say machine learning, Brad? <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, <laughs> some of that is, I would say, machine learning and you know, uh, you know, you know, AI, you know, kind of technology where it's learning about what be you know what behavior your users use on a regular basis because that that differs from industry to industry. That maybe a healthcare industry, they're sending large, you know, like um, x-ray and like, you know, radiological type information. And those are big files. And, you know, for that type of company, it's normal. But for, you know, somebody who's a manufacturing company, they should not be sending large, you know, CAD CAM drawings, you know, on a regular basis. Maybe those are typically used internally and and sending those to an external party. Yeah, you know, that's typically not done as much. And and you, you could see that somebody's maybe stealing, you know, IP information from, a particular company because that's not something that they do. Yeah. And I'm actually not skeptical about the machine learning thing anymore. Um, uh, As it happens, uh, as we're recording this earlier in the day, uh, I recorded a different show with someone who's an expert in machine learning. And uh, she managed to convince us that the way machine learning algorithms are being applied to a bunch of different problems in IT it is is real. It's not just marketing latching onto a buzzword and getting all excited because oh, machine learning's inside. That that really is how uh, anomalies in security, for example, are being detected. So I, I, I was a little smug when I asked the question, but in, in actuality, I do <laughs> I, I do realize that that is what's happening with a lot of the security advances now are tied back to ML. So I'm not surprised to hear you confirm that uh, that's part of what's going on within your SPCs. Yeah, I I think inevitably having, you know, that that secret sauce that, you know, is an algorithm that kind of figures out how users work and how users behave is important to figuring out what is normal and abnormal and those algorithms need to be adaptive. I mean, you can't just say I expect a certain policy is that you know, no file should, you know, be longer than one minute and one meg and, you know, apply this across all SBCs as, as a default because that might not necessarily be true for every customer. Yeah, you know, you know that a voice call, you know, uses a particular codec, but when you start getting into collaborative sessions, you know, that kind of breaks the, yeah, I'm going to use 64 kilobits. But even, you know, with 64 kilobits, that doesn't mean that some hacker couldn't devise a way to exfiltrate data and just have it, you know, come in, you know, you know, I'd say very small little sessions, uh, you know, still you need to detect that type of functionality and figure out, you know, is it truly a voice call or not? And, and, and that's a lot of kind of where we're steering a lot of our development is towards enhancing um, the, the security of a company from a, a collaboration perspective. 
Well, and that brings us to a pretty uh, pretty interesting conclusion to our show here, Brad. Um, SPCs matter, will continue to matter, and their functionality is only going to increase. And I'll be very interested to hear later on from uh, you folks at uh, Ribbon, formerly uh, we would have known you as Sonus, about the visibility aspects that get added to the platform. So if people want to find out more about Ribbon Communications, about migrating from Skype for Business to Teams and what all might be involved, security concerns, et cetera, do you, you got a, a landing page URL that you would like to send them to? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we have a variety of different ways that customers can engage and reach out to us. Uh, we're a very social company from that perspective. So, you know, we use Instagram. If you do, you know, slash ribboncom with two M's, uh, that's one of them. We do uh, Twitter, same thing, uh, you know, twitter.com slash ribboncom with two M's. Uh, same thing with Facebook, just forward slash ribboncom. Uh, we, of course, have our, you know, standard URL of ribboncommunications.com. That has, I would say, a lot of the higher level stuff, a lot of the, I would say, lower level product stuff has all been, you know, in the process of rebranding. So probably a little bit, maybe by the time this is published, it'll all be on the website. But, you know, the old URLs of sonusnet.com or genban.com still do work and, and do provide a lot of the ancillary, you know, deep dive information for customers that are looking for a specific uh, drill down onto I see, a 301 or and 302 everywhere. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again, Brad, for joining us today. That was Brad Chapman, Director of Strategic Alliances at Ribbon Communications. And uh, hey, this has been the Packet Pushers Priority Q. Our thanks to uh, Ribbon for sponsoring the show today. And you can find this and many more of our fine, absolutely free technical podcasts, along with our community blog over at PacketPushers.net. We're on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Hey, you can follow us at LinkedIn and uh, like us on Facebook if you're there for whatever your reasons are. And uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, too, if you wouldn't mind. Give us a minute and, uh, and rate the show. We'd appreciate it. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.